Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello from Portland. And special guest today is Debbie O'Brien. Hi, everyone. A couple of years ago, I put out a survey asking people what topics they wanted us to cover on devchat.tv, and I got two overwhelming responses. One was from the JavaScript community. They wanted a React show. And the other one was from the Ruby community, and they wanted an Elixir show. So we started both. The React show, though, is React Roundup. And every week, we bring in people from the React community, and we have conversations with them about React, about the community, about open source, about what goes into React, how to build React apps, and what's going on and changing in the React community. So if you're looking to keep current on the current React ecosystem and what's going on in React, you definitely need to be checking out React Roundup. You can find it at reactroundup.com. Hi, Debbie. Welcome back to the show. I think your last episode was episode 73. It's been a little while. Yeah, it has. <laughs> For those who don't aren't familiar with your name yet, would you mind introducing yourself and talk a little bit about how you got into programming and Vue? Sure. So my name is Debbie O'Brien, and I'm working for Nuxt at the moment full-time. So I'm head of learning and developer advocate. And I've been three months now working with the Nuxt.js company. How I got into programming is a very long story. It would take like the whole podcast to talk about that. But I'll give you a quick, short kind of rendition. Yeah, basically, I started off programming a long time ago, like back when JavaScript was not cool and things just like flew across the screen and that was as much as you could do and it was obviously very boring so I I left it and got into hotel entertainment and did like you know acting on stages and stuff and then went back into studying to get back into web development but I always found it very difficult to learn JavaScript and I failed many many times I spent thousands of euros doing many courses back in the time when you didn't have chat systems. So it was all through email, which is like terrible. And I gave up and uh, I became like, just like building WordPress websites for bars and restaurants. I got a few jobs in front-end development in startup companies, but they always just kept running out of money. Oh, my only skills were HTML and CSS and SAS. So I couldn't really be a proper front-end developer. So I couldn't get work. So I ended up being an English teacher. And then fast forward like many years, I basically gave it one last chance and gave up uh, my job and basically just went into full-time studying for about nine months and basically just said, I need to learn JavaScript, I need to master this, and I need to get a proper job as a, as a programmer. And here I am now, three years, it's been three years exactly since um, since I've been studying JavaScript and now I'm working for a JavaScript framework. So that's kind of pretty cool. So just out of curiosity, what uh, you said you dove in and decided I'm going to learn JavaScript. So what resources did you use? I'm always curious to see what tools people use to, to get up to speed. So I found it really hard to study on my own and just learn. And I kind of needed some help. And there's no schools. I live in Mallorca, which is a small island in Spain, and there's no like schools here that I could learn it. So I found one online, which was uh, Open Classrooms. And they actually do a front-end tech degree. So it's actually like, you know, university signed, et cetera. So you have to do a lot of writing work, a lot of research, a lot of theory, as well as actually programming. And you had a mentor. So you had somebody on a one-to-one, an hour a week uh, video session that was going through your code and helping you. And because that wasn't really enough for me, I also studied with Treehouse. So I did the full stack tech degree on Treehouse at the same time. And I was working the two of them. And they both basically both helped me within the nine months that I was studying to, I finished both of them. And then I was able to like, you know, do a lot of applications that I would never have even dreamed of possibly being able to do. I think like when you have a path, you have things to build, you know what you're doing. Whereas if you're studying on your own, you don't really know what to do. You, you invent stuff, but you don't really have a proper 
structure, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, I like that idea of having a mentor, someone that can help you and guide you instead of just, you know, flopping all over the place on your own and trying this and trying that. I know for myself, that's always a better way to learn when, when something like that's available. No, for sure. For me, it helped a lot. And, and it helps when you have somebody to, to guide you as well, because sometimes you think you're doing it right because it works. And then like someone says, no, that's terrible. You can't do it like that. You should do this. And then you learn from that. It sounds like you uh, definitely had a lot of twisting paths to get to the point that you are today. So I'm sure that extra experience also gives you an added perspective as you're studying programming and applying it in your uh, in your role at Nuxt. For sure. And and actually, I also studied um, a postgraduate in Spanish language because my backup plan was just to be an English teacher in Spain. And I needed to have like a university degree. I'd never been to university. So I was studying the Spanish postgrad which is teaching you how to be a Spanish teacher, but I was going to just be an English teacher, which sounds a bit crazy, but it was the way I could get into this, the local schools here. And that was actually very beneficial because you had to do a lot of content creation and you had to do a lot of presentations. So just studying, even though I was studying a language and not studying programming also helped in just being able to do the job that I'm doing now even better. So yeah, everything helps, I think. Nice. And I'm sorry, you mentioned it, but what is your current role at Next? So I'm head of learning and developer advocate. So basically head of learning means that I am, my job is to make sure that everybody can learn Nuxt, to make it as easy as possible for people to be able to learn and work with Nuxt and create like as much learning uh, materials as possible. So videos, for example, content, the documentation, demos, and then obviously like a developer advocate. So Nuxtify the world and turn everyone into Nuxt users. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the uh, the Nuxt documents. In my in my current role, I've been using two different Nuxt applications that I'm that I'm maintaining, and it's definitely been easy to find the resources that I need to figure out what I'm doing. Oh, they're going to be even better soon. Like, just wait for it. I've like revamped the whole documentation, and it's uh, it's not ready to be published yet. It'll be another few months, but everything is just being simplified, and you know, much easier content with demos on every single page, uh, video scripts basically everything and a quiz as well. We created a quiz to just test your knowledge and, and make it easier for people to learn. So there's a lot of new stuff coming, but it will take a few months before we actually put it live. Nice. I, li- I like the idea of quiz because I think the Gatsby documentation does something similar as you're, as you're getting into that. It'll ask you questions uh, and give you points and everything as, as you're going along through the documentation. Yeah, I find it very useful in like, say, open classrooms. They had the same on Treehouse. They had the same thing when you were studying and then you had a quiz. And it helps you kind of like just, oh, did I learn that properly? And when you get it wrong, because people don't like to be wrong, right? Then you actually go back and read it and you kind of go, oh, okay, now I got the answer. And you you try for that 100% score. So it is a good way of like, not just testing knowledge, but, you know, helping people to to make sure they've learned it properly. Very cool. I think one of, some of the news that I read recently is, and this is based off of what you're saying as well, that Nuxt is now an actual company. It's not just an open source framework for building view applications. Do you mind talking about that for a bit? Yeah. So Nuxt as in the framework will always be open source. So that's always open source and will always have its contributors. But on the side, we have the Next.js company. So the Next.js company means that now, since we got the, the funding, so they got 2 million uh, seed funding round in February. And that basically means that the creators of Nuxt, for example, now can dedicate more time into Nuxt and create a team of people so that they can like, you know, put more into it. Whereas before it was just, you know, open source, which meant they had to have a full-time job and then at the weekends try and, you know, update and, and maintain the framework. And that's hard work as any open source maintainer knows. So having the company means at the moment we have nine full-time employees. 
So it means like, just imagine nine full-time employees working full-time on Nuxt were able to do so much that we would not have been able to do if it was just open source. And it helps us to work much faster, to get more things out there, to improve things as much as possible. And yeah, I mean, it's only been three months now. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Just like imagine what we'll be have done in like, say, six months. So one thing I'm always curious about when it comes to open source organizations like this, and we interviewed other people like this, is the business model. You know, obviously, if you're starting a company, you need to make money to go, you know, past the once you run out of the, the seed money or, you know, whatever VC money you've gotten. So from a business model standpoint, how is that going to work for, for Nuxt in terms of making money down the road and becoming somewhat profitable? To be honest, it's kind of not my job to make sure the company makes money. It's my job oh. to make sure people learn Nuxt. So I don't even like get involved in, in the whole, I think there is like a model, of course, but it's not, it's not my job to be involved in it. So I don't really mm. kind of. Okay. That. Well, it sort of is your job because the better you do your job, then the company can make money, right? I guess so. And I mean, obviously like there's workshops and things like that. And, but I mean, again, we're, it's the first couple of months. So we have a long way to go before like right. this year, there's no possible way that we can. Obviously, yeah. And that's, that's to be expected. Yeah. So there will be a business plan and a business model and stuff, but right now that's, it's not the focus point of, mm-hmm. for this year and it's not my focus point either. So people have asked me this before and I just kind of go, you know, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just, I have a job right. doing what I'm doing. <laughs> Good. Okay. Sure. So what are some of the things that have come out of these? You, you said it's been very productive in the last three months uh, since this all happened. What are some of the things that have happened within Nuxt in that time? So we released a couple of um, new, very cool modules recently. So many of you have probably already seen. Uh, one of them is the components one. And this was actually built by, not by the Nuxt team itself, although we kind of, you know, helped to contribute to it, but it was actually built by the one of the core team members, by Kevin Mark. And uh, that's the components. So basically that will auto import your components. So you don't need to report um, to write an import statement, say import header from header and then put components header. It will just import it automatically for you just by using it in the template. So that's kind of really cool because, you know, that's just kind of lines of code that you always have to write that you just don't ever want to write. And it also lazy loads them. So you just by putting the word lazy, prefixing lazy header, for example, in the, in the uh, view template, then it will lazy load that component as well. Obviously don't lazy load the header. That was a terrible example, lazy load the footer, right? But yeah, so auto auto um, importing of components is a really, really cool feature. I have, you, I'm using it in my project and it just saves a lot of time when developing. And then the content module, which was released by the Nuxt.js team, which was Benjamin, who's full-time on the team. This is like the most amazing module ever, in my opinion. Because this one allows you to like, you know, the way we always write in our in our project markdown, we always have our code and then we want to put it in markdown because writing text and code is just annoying and updating it. So you put it in markdown, but Nuxt always had the problem that, you know, uh, with markdown, it wasn't the best, right? And that's probably why a lot of people went to Gridsum because Gridsum does that very, very well. But now we've fixed it basically with the content module. And it's we haven't just fixed it. We've just created something absolutely amazing. So you can write your markdown files. And you can put them in the content directory. And then it even comes like with a previous and next. So if you're writing a blog post, like blogs, for example, you will have the previous and next by doing a surround of the slug. And that's automatically created for you. So which is great for documentation or blogs, et cetera. Then it has like, you can search and you can filter and you can sort. So it comes with a, like a complete API that you can do anything you want with it. You can add view components to it as well. So for example, the new documentation that I'm working on, I've moved it all together into the content module. And then I've created a quiz and the quiz is a component 
that I just put inside the markdown. And then basically I just pass it in questions and the questions are in the YAML uh, above in the markdown. And then basically it has the quiz. So there's so much you can do with it. And it's really, really easy to get started with. Uh, the documentation for it is obviously amazing as well. So if you haven't checked out the content module, I seriously recommend you do because it's it's fantastic. So I want to dive into both of those. I'm going to start with content because I see you're very excited about it. And I'm excited <laughs> about it because I'm one of those Gridsome users that specifically went to Gridsome because I wanted an easy solution for markdown files. So my, my website in particular, I have some content that is blog. I have some content that is pages. I have some content content that is the actual comments against the blog posts. Am I able to, to bring in those different pieces and use them as needed throughout my next application? I just, like with Gridsome, I would do a, a page query or a static query uh, against the uh, GraphQL API. I'm able to do the same basic thing and just pull in whichever files I need wherever I need them, right? Yeah, so you just do a query against the page. So you're basically saying let page and then you fetch the wherever that content is, say it's in the blog folder, for example. So you fetch the blog folder and that will give you all those content MD files. And then you just like, you only have one page. So for example, in the documentation, the new documentation that I've created, I only have one page. And then I have like, I don't know, 25 markdown files in different folders. But that one page is going to just fetch because that's at the moment all I need. And then I've got my components, my quiz component, for example, and I can have other components in there, like the video component. And then you can just create, but you could create more if you wanted. If you wanted the files to look different, then you could just create another page and then have another fetch that fetches a different folder or a different. So yeah, you mean, sky's the limit. Okay. And for your example, you're I'm assuming you're just using a slug in the URL to determine which of those markdown files to load. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's just a dynamic slug and a dynamic folder because we're creating like, you know, different uh, folder structure. So everything's just mm -hmm. like dynamic and then dynamic slug. And then that just, yeah, does everything. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely going to have to try this out. Yeah. I have it in my website as well. And I've used it there just for not, I haven't actually wrote my blog in my uh, website, but all my code, like my homepage, my about page, which just has like little things that I update every now and again, that's all just in a, in a markdown. And then I'm just pulling that content in, in that particular component almost. Uh, it's not actually the whole page that I'm pulling in. So you don't have to have just a markdown page. You can put markdown inside the actual page as well. So it doesn't just support, just support markdown, right? In terms of the type of files that can be parsed and, and displayed. No, you, I mean, you could write in CSV if you wanted, <laughs> but you can write in JSON and in YAML as well. So yeah, you can, you can write like the majority of people will use Markdown, but you can write mm. in other formats. Mm. And then like the best thing is putting the view component inside the Markdown and then styling it as well. Like, you know, if you're using code blocks, for example, so you style it using, is it Prismic JS, I think, call or something like that. And then it styles it for you. And then like, you know, you've got beautifully designed and styled code blocks. So wait a minute, say that again. So you put your JavaScript code inside of your Markdown files? Well, the code block is just like your, your how you do normally code blocks in Markdown. But you have you can style it and you can customize the style as well if you want. To. Oh, I understand. Like a code snippet where you're demonstrating a code snippet or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Understood. Yeah. That's always a. Anytime you're writing a technical blog post, that's always a tricky part is being able to display code snippets nicely formatted so that they're easy to read. Something I always appreciate when I read a technical post that has good code demonstration. Yeah, it's and, and it's if it's made and done easy for you and you can just use different themes. So you can choose a different theme if you don't like that one. Choose a different one, put it in, and then you've got it like working very easily. So it's it's very cool. Nice, nice. So on the 
other feature, the components module. If I if I understood it right, I never have to import my component again. I never have to add a components block to my object API. Never say Is never. That... <laughs> okay. You will have to import your components manually if you're using the is component. So like the dynamic component, because that's obviously not going to know which component to, to import. But if you're just using a component normally, then yes, you don't need to write it. So there are times that you will still need to write import, but very rarely. So the idea there is that if you have a component that you want to be globally accessible to all your your next pages, you would do it like this as compared to an import. Is that right? Not just global. I mean, you can just import the components because they're 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 taken at the moment, like say tree shaken or whatever. So it's not like you, it's not going to load all the components. So if you're not using a component, it's not going to be put in the page. So you don't have to worry about. Yeah, it's not global components as such. It's just oh, so it's it's basically parsing your code and saying, okay, I need this component, so I'm going to go get it included in for me instead of having to write an import. Yeah. Ah, okay. That's nice. Yeah. That answers the question I was about to ask with, uh, I I know with a standard view CLI application, you sometimes have to worry about bringing in all of these components because of the extra bundle size or what have you. But that sounds like an excellent way to solve the problem. Just parse the, uh, the template for what components you need. Yeah. So combining these two things, that's, that's a lot of work that comes out of those three months. What's next? So next, um, it's it's actually gonna it's I'm gonna say it's gonna be released like this week, but when you when you're building stuff, then you start perfecting it and you start like so code always takes time. But this is something I've been speaking about for almost a year now, and it's something that obviously the next team have been doing a lot of work on, and it is amazing, and it's like it's a game changer in in everything, and that is the static module. So the full static module is going to be released any day now, and I know I've said that for quite a few months ago as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I promise you it will be this month. And yeah, this is going to be amazing because like it changes completely because I don't know if you know how Nuxt works, but when you are generating a static site, you ba- it's basically static the first time you go to it. And when you change the page, you go to the next page, it's actually calling the server. And you can see that if you inspect the code, you can see if you've got an API request, it's calling that API. So it's kind of fully static on the first load, but then it's not static. It's then kind of like using the server, right? So fully static changes that completely. And every time you change the page, it's not calling the server at all. So if you have a call to yeah, your data that's in, say, Hasura, for example, then you don't make that API call anymore. That call is made at build time. All the calls to the API on every single page is made at build time and stored in a payload. And then that's stored in the static folder. And then every time you change the page, go to a different route, it will call that static folder and get that payload that's already there, get all the data, and then you have a fully static site, which is how static sites basically should work. And that kind of makes it much faster, much better for offline support. And then you don't have to expose your API, right? Because like, if you inspect the page, if you look at the uh, network call, you're just going to see the payload, the results, you're not going to actually see the call to the API. Yeah, I ran into that issue recently. I was doing some consulting for a guy who had uh, built a site for his school in Next. And we were noticing that he was using Strapi as his uh, his backend headless CMS, and we were you know using the next generate command, which as we understood it should have generated a, a static site. We we're loading the site, noticing it's still hitting the server, and that seems sort of antithetical to you know what a true static site should be. And so, looking through different GitHub issues, we found the one that said, "Yeah, we need to we need to address this." So now. 
something like, uh, you know, Gatsby is probably one of the more well-known site generators written in React. And I haven't actually used it. My understanding is it basically just generates your static HTML, generates all your routes and, and everything for you, the static HTML. But the way you just described it, it doesn't sound like it's generating the full-on, you know, .html pages. It's, it's loading the content somehow. And then when you go to the view page, it pulls from that content right there on the server. Or how exactly is that working? I, I have a feeling I'm missing something. Yes, it's it's generating the, the HTML page. But yeah, that's a good question because it's like you can see the calls are being made to the payload. So if you inspect the file, if you inspect it, you can see that. So it's still fetching the data, but it's fetching it from, from the payload files as opposed to just having the HTML with everything on it. But how, how that differs to Gatsby, I don't know because I've never really looked into how Gatsby works. But it's very different in the sense of that Gatsby is just a static site generator. And remember, Nuxt is three things really, right? It's it, it's single page application, it's server-side rendered applications, and it's static site generation. And that's what's always made it difficult to like only do one thing because if you only do say, if you work on the static module, then you can't have the code the same as the server-side rendering. So you've got to be very careful of what you're doing to not break server-side rendering applications because in Nux, for example, you can change from one second to another, right? With, a, with one command line, you can change your, your static site to a server-side rendered um, application or vice versa or just change to a single page application depending on your needs. And that's what makes kind of Nux very cool and very magic. So all those things have to be taken into account when when creating these and when we do what we do. So it's, yeah, it's it's very different. It's very hard to compare it. But the idea behind this static module then is to have a truly statically rendered site where there's no calls going back to an API or server. Everything is just loaded there on your site, wherever you've deployed it, you know, S3, Netlify, name your host, correct? Yeah, exactly. And they're cached as well. So it's going to be like calling it from like a cached folder almost. So it's basically already already there, which gives you better offline support, you know. But yeah, we call it, it's called like the full static module and it kind of changes a little bit. So before you would run like run uh, generate, for example, the generate command, and now we're changing it to like uh, targets. So it's going to be like target static. And then you're going to use mode, mode server, mode, mode client. So you're going to have modes and you're going to have targets and it's instead of being being build and generate. So those are the kind of like major changes when it comes to deploying the application. So that will be a little bit different, but it will make it easier as well. Okay. So how does Nuxt know what my API calls are? Do I have to be using a specific plugin like the, the Nuxt Axios plugin so that it knows these are the API calls to make and cache the data? Or does it just catch anything that would be made even if you're using Axios just as a third-party library? So it's done at build time. I mean, just like like you could use Axios, you could use the HTTP module, you could use, you know, whatever you want, you can use fetch. But basically it's at build time, it's creating those pages. So like normally when you're generating your application, what is it doing at build time? It's it's basically getting all the data it needs and it's building it. Uh, whereas when you're running server-side rendering, then you're building it on the moment of it being used by, you know, in the browser, for example. So generating is basically at build time, I'm going to generate everything and I'm going to like go up to that API, get everything, get all that calls, all the calls, and then have it all there basically. So yeah, it's it's like static site generation and and, um, server-side rendered apps are very similar, just that everything in in static sites is done at build time and on the um, server-side rendering, it's done like in the moment from the server. So mm-hmm. you get the same benefits like search engine optimization because you've already got all that content is already, you already have it. And it works different than to a single page application, which is 
on the client side, it's just like a empty page. And then the JavaScript fills it with all the content. When I first started taking computer science classes in college, I thought programming was just a joke. In fact, I changed my major over to engineering and started doing computer engineering and chip design. Then I found Ruby and I fell in love. I love Ruby. It was my first real programming language where I dove deep and really learned how to make software that makes a difference for other people. Since then, and the way that we got started with devchat.tv, we started a show called Ruby Rogues. It's currently in the 400s of episodes. We've talked to hundreds of people in the Ruby community about the Ruby community, about the Ruby programming language, about Rails, and about what makes good programming. So if you're interested in Ruby Rogues, or you just want to hear a long series of experienced programmers talking about real problems, then go check out rubyrogues.com. Okay. So things like async data and all that obviously just work, right? Because they'd always work if it was server-side, so it'll just work because it's the same basic concept just built once, right? Yeah, because I mean, we, we say like, you know, there's serverless applications, et cetera, but you always need some kind of server to build it, right? So yeah. if you're playing with Netlify, it's serverless hosting, but there's a server in Netlify that does all that building for you, right? And if you're doing it in your local computer, you're still using the, the server to, to build it, to generate it. So once it's in, in Netlify, for example, or any other Azure static apps or any other kind of static hosting, that hosting company is basically building it for you. And then it's just serving those uh, static sites. So you're basically then when you when the user goes, they're not worrying about the build phase has already happened. And the user never knows or sees that the user just goes and gets all the content that comes down from the CDN. And it's already like generated. Okay, well, that's awesome. I, I definitely need to play with this with my uh, my blog and see if I can migrate from Gridsome to Nuxt yeah, more to see should. if I can than anything. <laughs> You should. It's really easy. And like the content module is, it, it's my favorite because it's so simple. Although it's, it might be scary because there's a lot of documentation. So you might look at it and go, whoa, it does all this. But if you read it and if you just start to use it, it's like, oh my God, it's so easy. People have put on Twitter, like it's taken them like 20 minutes to just convert their whole blog over. Because the hardest thing as well for a blog is like the next page, the, you know, last post, next post, et cetera. And that's all mm-hmm. done. For so you don't need to do that. So you get so many benefits that it just makes it a lot easier. And then, yeah, you apply that as a static application and then then you're done anytime you add new content obviously you regenerate the site but it's it's very easy i remember from the episode of enjoy the view you were on where you were talking about how the content module is faster than view press i'm i'm assuming that still holds true since that episode aired is that sound yeah. accurate. So when you're develop when you're developing and you can actually see it like it's so fast because it's not going through webpack to when you're changing your markdown files you don't have to rebuild the whole application so it just like just updates in a second and you can, yeah, like it's super fast. You just change your content and bang, change your content, bang. So it doesn't have to like rebuild like you would normally do sometimes with a, with the application, right? So yeah, you have to, you, when you check it out, you'll be able to say, oh yes, oh my God, it is so fast. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Another question I have on, on the speed though is what's the, the build time of Nuxt with all of this compared to something like Gridsome? Is it also faster uh, just because of how Nuxt is working? I'm curious on that. I have absolutely no idea because I've never worked at Gritsum. That's fair. <laughs> but I have the modules in my application and I don't see any problem with build times or any, yeah, so I don't know. Okay. So this has all been awesome and I'm excited to see where Next goes in the future. Looking over some of the things that you've been talking about recently, I went over to the Next blog as well. And I... I I'm just really interested in all these cool features that are coming out of Nuxt right now. It seems like it's definitely the way to go if you're wanting to build a, a view application. 
And the uh, the blog post I'm I'm referring to though is the going dark with Next.js color mode. I thought that was a really cool little feature. I was wondering if you'd like to talk about that at all. Sure. So yeah, when that one came out, I was like really excited about it as well because I've always wanted to just like change my my website as well and put it into dark mode and just because you know, it, it's just cool, right? And I didn't really know how to do it, so I never did it. And then when the module came out, I was like, I said to Sebastian, I want to write a, a blog post on it. And he's like, go ahead. So yeah, when you're writing a blog post on it, you research it into detail. How does it work? It's not just, because it's very easy to, to just take something, copy, paste, put it in your code and go, yay, I've done it. It works. But breaking it down makes you understand what it's using it, how it's using the system to tell what, you know, what color and how you can change it easily and how, how you can add even more colors. I mean, you could have hundred colors if you wanted to. So it was really fun. It's a really cool module and it's, it's really fun to just like add to your code and just, you know, put it in there and then just like, yeah, just have fun with it. You should do it when you build your, your next blog, add in the color mode module. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I, I especially like how it also can pick up the system default, whether you're in dark mode or light mode. Yeah. And if anyone wants to see an example of it, it is on your website. Uh, which is where I discovered it and then went and found the blog post. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Very nice. Uh, we're going to do some more blog posts as well. So the idea is like to try and have a, try and, you know, create as much material and much content as possible. Cause when we create these new features, sometimes it's like, like the components one, right. And, and the content module and it's like, okay, it's a new feature. And then it's in the documentation or it's there and people kind of like, you know, forget about it or don't have time. So when you create a blog post, then it's like, hey, look, this is how you, you break it down for someone, right? And you kind of give them a better example of how to use it and what a follow guide through instructions to follow so that they can then create it uh, much easier. So that's what we're going to like try and do as much as possible. So when we release new features that we always like try and release a blog post as well. That's kind of like what we're trying to do, but everything is time as well. So sometimes that doesn't happen, but <laughs> we do sure. our that makes sense. And is that what you spend a lot of your time on? Just kind of making all those plans about this is how the documentation is going to go. This is how the blog posts explaining all of these new features are going to go. Is that kind of what you're focusing on at Next? Well, it's not really. And yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so the first couple of months, really, the, the the task was to to improve the documentation. And that was a massive project because Remember, the documentation has grown over time and it's grown from the open source community as well, which is fantastic that people have contributed to the documentation. But what happens then is that sometimes you have things repeated in, in two places or explained better here and then another place it's not explained so well. And then like when the user finds it, they might find the better explained one or the not so good explained. And sometimes it didn't make sense. The structure, things were in the API when they shouldn't be in the API. They should be like, you know somewhere in the guide because people like are afraid to go to the API. I know it's like, oh gosh, don't go there. Uh, I don't want to touch that, you know? So we wanted to make it more user-friendly, take all the, you know, the good information out of the API and put it into, um, into the documentation itself. And the idea wasn't mine. The idea was actually um, Alex Chopin's and he has had this idea for a while, you no, know, to like, you know, separate it out and create it like almost kind of like books. And then like, it's easier to read, like you can read a book, whereas our documentation at the moment, I don't think it follows properly from one page to the next. And it should, it should follow in a structure. So trying to create that structure, trying to take all the documentation. And there was a lot of stuff I didn't know as well. I will be honest, right? I wasn't a Nuxt expert expert, right? I've been using Nuxt for a couple of years, but there were things I'd never done before. I'd never created my own module. So writing the documentation and creating your own module when you've never created a module before meant I had to study it, learn it, play with it, build stuff with it. 
and then I was able to actually, you know, teach it and, and, just, and teach it better. So there was a lot of work involved in that, creating the quizzes as well, creating demos for every single page, creating videos for every single page. So that was like the first massive project and it's almost finished, but it will be a few months before we finish the videos and stuff. And then like Alex and Sebastian have a, a roadmap and they have a plan and they know exactly where we're going. There's so much to do that I've seen like, you know, because basically we're going to create demo content of Nuxt with everything. And Nuxt can work with almost everything in the world, right? So <laughs> there's so much com- content we can play with, so many things you can build. So part of my job will be building stuff and trying new things out like the Prismic Slice machine that came out last month. So let's build something with Nooks with that and have it on our site so people don't have to go to someone else's site to find out how something works with Nooks. We should be able to just go to Nooks and everything, everything, everything is there. But that will take time to build everything. And then I've been working a lot on the newsletter. So the newsletter was it was quite new. Have you signed up for a newsletter? I, I have, yes. Good. So the newsletter is kind of cool because it's like about make it about the community as well because the community are writing some amazing articles and stuff so we want to like showcase their work showcase what sites have been built with nooks and put all that in a newsletter as well as what we've been releasing and it's a good way of for people to keep up to date with what's happening what's going on and you know what people are doing in nooks as well but yeah there's so much work to do (laughs) yeah uh debbie i was just poking around and saw that you have a project on github called nooks boilerplate yes is that is that, uh, looks like last commit's been about 10 months ago. I guess you've been sort of busy <laughs> then, since then, it sounds like. Um, so I'm just curious, it, in a, according to the, the README, the idea was borrowed from Chris Fritz's view, Enterprise Boilerplate, which I've looked at and considering to use. So uh, is this something you're still maintaining or, but judging by the name, it's something, uh, it sounds like it's something that you can just download and get started real easily to give you a good starting point for a project. Is that right? And do you have any plans for it? Yeah, so basically I stole it all from Chris Fritz, but I, I did ask his permission, so it's not really stealing. But yeah, my, <laughs> my idea at the time was to create something similar to Nooks because I did a, a workshop with Chris Fritz and he uses that boilerplate to, to teach. So I learned everything that I didn't already know, like, you know, hygiene templates, for example, testing. I learned it through that boilerplate and it was really nice to have something. And I, I don't call, I don't like to think of it as something that you should download and build your project on because code changes like you've seen. Uh, that code hasn't been touched in 10 months, but that doesn't mean it's still not useful. But if you were to build an application from that, then that's probably not good because Nuxt has got better since that date. And it's very hard to keep things up to date. So this is like, I call it like, like it's almost like a playground. And it's basically like download it and dive, dive into it and play around with it and see how things work. And then like take from that what you want. So Things like the hygiene templates, if you want to create templates and then just go say new page, new component, and that will create that component for you, how you like it with say the SAS, for example, or with Lang equals less or whatever. So yeah, the testing I was playing a little bit with as well with the view testing library, and I need to kind of play around with that more because it doesn't really work very well. I didn't have time to, to fix it. So the testing doesn't work. Don't look at that. The idea is to maintain it a bit better and to improve it and add the new features. So as soon as the static module comes out, that's when I'm going to actually update it because it's going to include, because the static module or the next, not really the static module, the next release of Nuxt will include the static module and will include the components and like the content module and stuff. So that's the time to kind of like do a better version and then basically, yeah, and then have all those cool new features in it. I think that's the plan. And then when we go to a workshop and teach, we have that 
that boilerplate to say, right, is the workshop, this is our content. And people can take it, take it away, would take that away with them and, you know, play with it and look back on it. But it's that not was- perfect. <laughs> Oh, no, no. But it, yeah, I like uh, you've got the documentation. You got your whole docs folders here with a bunch of different pages about different things, images, layouts, Nuxt config, performance, plugins, languages and technology. So a lot of looks like a lot of good documentation there. Yeah. And all the documentation is written in ViewPress inside the Nuxt project. So um, oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> we couldn't do it really well before. And now like we've got the new content module, um, then we can actually just write a better uh, we don't have to use ViewPress, but ViewPress is also very good. So there's nothing wrong with ViewPress or putting sure. ViewPress in your Nooks project as well. But um, sure. but yeah. Nice. <laughs> and this is something I used as well when I was working before in my last companies. So I used to teach a lot of people Nuxt and I was a I was a tech lead and a consultant as well. So I would basically use this to help people learn. So it was kind of I built it for myself to help me in my job. <laughs> and um and it really, really did help. So yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, boy, talk about a a common refrain. I mean, how many tools are out there? You really useful tools that people have built because they needed it. Hey, I need this piece of functionality. Let me write this up. Oh, look, other people need this functionality too. And it takes off, you know, that's, that's just a common refrain, you know, open source, one of the neat things about it. Well, that's how how Nux started, really. They didn't build it for anyone else. They built it for themselves to solve a solution with server-side rendering. And that's basically how Next was born. (laughs) Yeah. they put it live. There's actually a story on the on the blog post and actually tells the whole story of Nux. It's really, really nice. I really recommend reading it. It's a really nice story. And it tells about how they started it. And then they just put it up on GitHub going, ah, no one will, you know, no one will look at our code. It doesn't matter if it's a mess. And then like stars and stars and issues. And then they're like, oh my God, people are using this. <laughs> <laughs> what have we done? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the sort of general rule. If you don't want people to see it and take have it take off, then either make it private or don't put it on GitHub. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, my website is actually completely public. And it basically just kind of, I know I make so many mistakes and I do some really bad things as well because my JavaScript skills are not the best, right? So anyone could go in there and go, oh my God, what is she doing? But it doesn't matter because like some, actually if some people want to correct my JavaScripts and that's kind of cool as well. I'd be quite happy to accept pull requests on my website. <laughs> but yeah, if it helps other people, because I learned a lot from looking at other people's websites and people would say that's cheating, right? You know, but I don't oh, think- Oh, heck it, no. Well, when, you, when we were studying, like say in Treehouse, for example, that would have been considered cheating. You were never allowed to look at other people's code. But I always found it easier to look how other people do things not to copy it, but to, to, to make my code better mm-hmm. and to learn from it. So, so if anyone can learn from my code, then yeah, go ahead. If it helps. Absolutely. Sometimes you learn what to do. Sometimes you learn what not to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but as well, I always use all the Nux latest features. So like the static modules already been in my code base for, you know, quite some time and the components and, you know, so everything that comes out in Nux, I always test it on my own website. So if you ever like want to see, what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Just like, you know, watch my website and then you'll see. So you have your, your own website as, as a repo under your GitHub profile then, is that right? Yeah. So it's just under my GitHub and it's debbie.code. So it's really easy. Oh yeah. Um, here it, it is. Okay. Yeah. It started off as a really terrible website because I'm really bad at design and uh, yeah, I, I'm very good at copying like a design and rebuilding that design, but not from putting it together. So I ended up buying a template for like $5 and there you go. 
and then copying it <laughs> and uh, restructuring the whole thing. So yeah, it's it's not perfect. There's a lot more that needs to be done to it. But it's just, for me, it's my playground of like, just kind of, you know, putting new things like the color mode module and anything that comes out, I just add it in just for fun. It's my fun playground. There you go. I mean, that's, that's why I wrote my website in Gridsome is I just wanted to explore it. I had a uh... Started with WordPress, moved to Gatsby, and then I saw Grids and was like, oh, good, it's in view. That's much better. <laughs> yeah. So, so I remembered my question. With all this new documentation coming out and the new workshop materials and everything, obviously, View 3 is on the horizon. And I would assume that some documentation is going to be rewritten around View 3 as needed. Less curious on when is Nuxt going to implement View 3, because obviously nobody knows when it's even coming out. But I'm, I'm just curious about your process of, of thinking about that. Like we're, we're updating our documents right now and we know a new major version of Vue is coming out any day now. What, what's, your, what's your feeling around that? How you're, what's your plan for getting the documentation synced with what's coming out? Well, Vue 3 has been on the horizon for quite a long time, like the static module, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And it will come eventually. But the thing is that it doesn't affect us because... We already know that Vue 3 works with Nuxt. So the moment we want to like integrate it, it's it, we've already done all that testing that's already been done. It's very easy. It's not a problem. But we're actually more concentrated on getting Nuxt 3 released. Nuxt 3 isn't Nuxt and Vue 3, right? Nuxt 3 is Nuxt 3 and Vue 3 is Vue 3. And maybe, I don't know if Nuxt 3 will have Vue 3 or if Nuxt 4 will have Vue 3 because that depends on when Vue release. So we, we don't want to like wait for Vue 3 to be released so that we can release their features and and what we're gonna you know build and work on and there's a lot of improvements coming to Nuxt as well so so yeah we're working more on the documentation towards Nuxt three as opposed to implementing the documentation for Vue three because in Nuxt we're not documenting what Vue does Vue documentation is fantastic and that basically documents how to do things in Vue and if you're working with Nuxt you will still have to use the view documentation when you want to do things that are view orientated or view specific as opposed to Nook specific. Okay. So, so things like, for example, these, these are the two APIs that I've used most recently is the async data or the validate API. Those aren't going to be changing just because view three is coming out is, is kind of what I'm hearing. Is that right? So we're not changing anything for the moment. And when view three is out, then we will basically, I mean, that's kind of like not a question that, that I can properly answer because I haven't been working with the view three. That's Sebastian and Puya, for example, they've been working with that. Mm -hmm. So they know exactly what needs to be changed and what doesn't. Whereas I haven't been involved in that yet because it's not needed. And it probably, I mean, view three might not come out until October, for example, I'm just putting a date, right? And then we need to implement things. So it's going to be January. So there's no point in me worrying about what I need to do in January of next year, right? I need to worry about what I need to do this summer. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of work to do, but as new features are coming out. So I think this is probably going to be the last release of Nuxt version two. The, the one that's coming out is probably going to be the last major one. And then we should be starting to work on Nuxt three. And that will be like, yeah, there'll be a lot of improvements and that will, will require some, some documentation changes, et cetera. And then we just keep in tune with the view team and we know like what they're doing when they're releasing and, and their documentation is going to document everything to do with, say, the composition API. And we only document what needs to change based mm -hmm. on the fact in Nuxt of this, but we're not going to teach the composition API in Nuxt. That's not my right. job. That's you. Right, job. of course. And hopefully they have somebody as skilled in uh, documentation as the next team has. Oh, they, uh, have, they have a really good team. <laughs> I, I know. Good I team. know. 
<laughs> yeah, they're very lucky. But but we we work full time and they don't work full time. So I guess I guess we're probably in a better position. <laughs> so before we wrap up, since we were just talking a little bit about next three, is there any anything you can share with us about what's going on there that you're excited about? I if not, that's fine. Yeah, I don't know if I can. I mean, basically, there's a lot of things. It's going to be basic making things easier for the developer. This is the whole point of Nuxt is to try and make things as easy as possible. So like the component module makes it easier for the developer. The content module with Markdown makes it easier. So everything that we do is going to try and make it easier for the developer. So it, Nuxt is just going to be the tool to use to build websites. It's going to be like everyone just is going to want to use Nuxt. Seriously, it's like, yeah. That's, I'm, I'm just excited about the fact that we're constantly, constantly, constantly improving things. So we have a roadmap, we're building this, but as soon as next three is out, that's not like, okay, that's it, see you later. There's going to be more and more. There's so many things that we're going to be building and uh, and improving on. So I think, yeah, everything. I'm excited about everything. <laughs> that That is good to hear. I'm excited to see it too. All right. Uh, Steve, do you have any other questions? No, not right now. Well, Thank you so much, Debbie. Uh, This has been excellent talking with you. Thank you for having me. It's been good fun. Uh, Yeah. Are you building applications with Vue.js? Then you need to check out the Views on Vue podcast. Every week, we bring in a guest panelist from the Vue community and talk about the interesting things being built with Vue or the changes coming in its ecosystem. You can find it all at viewsonvue.com. So at this point, let's move on to picks. Uh, For those who don't know, picks are just things that we like, don't need to be tech-related, that we'd like to share with the world. So start with Steve. Uh, Steve, do you have a pick that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I don't think I've picked this one yet. If I have, apologize for the repetition, but I'm going to go with a TV show called The Middle. It's been off the air for a couple of years, around 2009, 2018. And it had uh, Patricia Heaton, who was most people know from Everybody Loves Raymond uh, as Ray's wife. And it's just about this uh, middle-class family that lives in a town called Orson, Indiana, but it was funny. And I've sort of gotten into it because my wife and my daughter love it so much. They, uh, they're literally on the third time binging on this show, like every night watching from start to finish. Uh, it's just really funny. And I guess the thing about that we reason we like it so much is that it's very, it mirrors our family very much, uh, both in terms of structure. We both have, uh, three kids. Uh, I have two boys and a girl and that family has two boys and a girl and just the personalities of their daughter match my daughter to a T, you know, the Patricia Heaton's character to my wife. And it's just, it's hilarious, really good, really clean, you know, very, very family friendly, but uh, just a lot of fun to watch. So it's called the middle and we get it on. I think we watched it on Amazon is where you can get all 11 seasons. Thanks. Debbie, do you have a pick for us? Yeah, so I'm going to say the content module from Nooks. I know when he was. <laughs> <laughs> well, we assumed that pick, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to say The Sinner. It's a TV series on, on Netflix. And I'm really bad at TV series because I get really bored. I, I, I kind of like prefer to just, you know, uh, spend all day programming, right? So my husband always goes mad. So he always has to find one that makes me want to like keep watching. Otherwise, I just straight on my phone and I'm I'm not doing too much. And The Sinner is really, really good. It's a, it's a really good series. It's actually two two seasons and yeah it's about like what can I say it's about it's about there's a detective basically and it's about uh someone murders someone so in both uh seasons someone murders it and he has to find out why but it's kind of not just your typical there's always like a reason behind it that's you know very strange and like it goes and takes it a long time to get to that reason 
but it's really good. It's a really, really nice and interesting. It's called A Sinner on Netflix. Cool to check both of those out. So my pick today is not a TV show. I, I have recently been playing around with Native Script View again. Sometime back, we interviewed Tiago Alves and spoke about Native Script View. And I started exploring it. And I think, I don't know if I'm, I'm the typical developer in that I have my local environment set up. I have VS Code configured just how I like it. And when I read through the, uh, the introduction on the Native Script website, it, it was saying, oh, go try out our playground and just play with it before you have to set anything up. And I was like, no, I'm going to download this. I'm going to have it on my computer. I'm going to run it here because that's what I do with everything. And that was fine at the time. But recently, I started actually playing with the NativeScript Playground, and that's what my pick is today. So that's at play.nativescript.org. And the reason I'm picking it is to learn NativeScript. It has, it, it's excellent. It has a tutorial, walks you through how to build an application. Because of their uh, Playground app that you download on your phone, either iOS or Android, you can just uh, sync up with the browser. So it's not even on a local network connection. It's going over the internet. But the, the part that I like the most is... As you're learning native script or any mobile development, there, you can't use divs or spans or a tags or anything like that. You have to use the specific tags for native. And they have drag and drop placement of components. So there's button, label, image, slider. You can just drag it from the side into your code. It'll update the script tag. It'll update the template tag. I think it might update style. I'm not 100% certain on that. But it, it'll just start applying all of these changes for you as you're working so that you can learn what you're doing. You don't have to, like when I was learning Bootstrap, you copy code from Bootstrap and then go back to the documentation to figure out what it does. It all just does it for you. And there's a tutorial right next to you as you're going. So if you're wanting to get into native script at all, it's an excellent tool and definitely worth checking out instead of just skipping it like I did the first time. So cool. that is my pick. Debbie, where can people find you if they have any questions or want to keep talking about how awesome Nuxt is with you? Yeah, obviously, if they want to talk about Nuxt, then I'm open all day, every day. Yeah, no, you can find me on Twitter. I'm, I'm quite active on, on Twitter. And then my website, Debbie.codes, has all the links to like, you know, LinkedIn and uh, my GitHub repo, etc. But reach out to me and like my DMs are open. So if you ever have anything and if you ever have like an article or something you want to share that you've written about Nuxt, or a website you've built on Nuxt that you want to like say feature in the newsletter or want me to check over, then yeah, do please uh, contact me on Twitter and send it. Awesome. Thank you. And for everyone else, if you'd like to follow up with either me or Steve, you can find me at Yagaboosh on Twitter. You can find Steve at Wonder95. And you can find more about Views on View at Views on View or devchat.tv. You can find all of our episodes there. Hope you had a good time listening and have a great week. See you next time. Adios. Bye. <laughs> Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.